You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Okay, open your Bibles very quickly to the book of Third John. It's only one chapter, Third John, and we're going to read the first two verses of Third John. Let's rise up for the reading of God's Word. Third John and verse 1, verse 2 of Third John. Woo! <laughs> Ask your neighbor, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? And just in case they ain't ready, tell them, get ready, get ready, get ready. A word is coming your way in Jesus' mighty name. All right, I'm reading your hearing. I'm reading from the original King James translation of God's Word. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So this letter is being written to Gaius. And then verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospereth. Even as your soul or thy soul prospereth. Now, this is a popular portion of Scripture, and a lot of you have probably heard it um, quoted many times. But some theologians have taken it upon themselves uh, to dismiss this verse as nothing more than a wish, a goodwill wish, or even a greeting. They contend that prosperity preachers read far too much into this verse and uh, they, they, that they're making the verse mean more than what it really means. As far as they are concerned, this is a simple letter that John wrote to his their brother and friend Gaius, and not an endorsement of the prosperity gospel. Okay? But I beg to differ. They are not incorrect in saying that it is a greeting, it is a prayer, and even a wish that John was making for his friend Gaius. But they are wrong in limiting it to only that. Because the Word of God is spirit and it is life. And it is loaded with layers of truth. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little. Many layers of truth. So one statement can be made, yet many layers of truth can be in that statement. So locked in this simple greeting or wish, if you like, is divine principle and liberating truth. John's desire for Gaius... Uh, to prosper and be in health even as his soul prospers is a reflection of God's desire for you and me. God desires that we would prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. In other words, this is not prosperity that is limited to only one area of your life. God wants you to have total life prosperity. If you agree, come and shout, yeah! <laughs> so this was and is more than a wish. And the simple subject of my meditation this Sunday morning is more than a wish. Tell your neighbor it's more than a wish. It's more than a wish. It's more than a wish. Mighty Father, I ask that you help me today that you speak through me like only you can. Let your people be blessed, edified, and elevated to a new level of experience with you. Let there be great illumination and liberation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we do pray. And the people said aloud, amen. And as you take your seat once again, say more than a wish, more than a wish. All right. Woo! Get ready, get ready. Something's going to happen. Um, we had a wonderful time last week, Sunday, as I was teaching, um, I shall not want, absolutely phenomenal. I've had quite a bit of good feedback from that particular teaching, with many people saying that, whoa, they hadn't seen it in that light before. However, there were a few persons that did come back to me to tell me that they felt that I was really having a go at prosperity preachers last week Sunday. That pastor, my goodness, you seem to be attacking all my favorite 
uh, prosperity teachers. Uh, you are just attacking them. Pastor, you know, you are, you are a preacher too. You should be careful about uh, attacking or seeming to attack other preachers and teachers. Uh, well, that was not my intention. However, we must understand, listen closely to me, that revelation is progressive. Revelation is progressive. Re Re revelation is not static. Revelation continues to grow. It continues to progress. If the truth be told, we build on the foundation of, that has been laid by those that went ahead of us. Okay? But build we must. We must build on what has already been laid. Now listen to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. I read verse 19 and a little bit down. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now listen to verse 20. Verse 20 says, And are built, you are being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So you are being built on a foundation that has already been laid by apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth. So this, this, this building, it is growing onto a holy temple in the Lord. Once it says that it is growing, it means that there is progression. Revelation is progressive. It is not Static. We are growing. And then verse 22, in whom you are being built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So, the truth be told, the body of Christ, the church of God, is not static. We are a growing, a moving, a progressive uh, body, all right? And revelation also is not static. It is constantly growing. It is moving from um, precept, propped on precept, line upon line, from level to level. Now, though some might disavow the fathers of the faith in their claim of having new wine revelations, by doing so, they are unwittingly disconnecting themselves from their foundation, from their source. No building stands without it standing on some foundation or the other. So, we therefore need to give honor to whom honor is due. And is it okay for me this Sunday morning to take a station break and give honor to whom honor is due? Uh, would we have been able to really understand the word and the mechanics of faith without the likes of Kenneth E. Hagen? Uh, would we have known healing miracles, signs and wonders without the likes of Oral Roberts, Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Kuhlman and Benny Hinn. Would we have known the evangelistic favor of favor of getting people saved without the likes of Raynard Bonkey, T.L. Osmond, and Billy Graham? Would we have known the, 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 the wisdom of successful living without the likes of Mike Muddock and the Honorable Miles Monroe? Would we have known prosperity without the likes of Kenneth Copeland, Friedrich Casey Price, and even Creflo Dollar? Would we have had the foundation of new creation realities without the teaching of E.W. Kenyon? Would we have been able to understand grace even in this new age without the likes of Joseph Prince and Andrew Walmack? We must give honor to whom honor is due. Would we have been able to grasp leadership if we didn't have men like John C. Maxwell teaching us that leadership is upon which everything rises or falls. Would we have been able to know that, no, indeed, that woman, thou art loosed, if not for the likes of Bishop T.D. Jakes. And uh, let's come home right now. Would we have known that something, I can't describe it, something, I can't articulate it, I can't contain it, I can't comprehend it, is about to happen, if not for the likes of Pastor 
Pastor Paul at the Pharisee. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? We need to give honor to whom honor is due. Would we have known these things if these men had not gone ahead, made the contributions that they made, and continued to make those con con contributions that they are making? We might say they weren't perfect, but they made a, a contribution, and it is part of the progression of revelation and the growth of the body of Christ. Somebody will say, arguably, uh, we would have still come to know these things without these men. God would have found some other vessel to speak and to teach us these things, but we need to be grateful that these men made themselves available for God to use. If there's anybody grateful for the various men that have molded, shaped, and built your faith, can you put your hands together and give God the glory, not just for the giver of the gift, but also for the gifts themselves. Come on, lift him high this Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Can we even count the multiple millions of men and women that have been saved, delivered from hell because of these men's faithfulness in ministry? You see, the truth be told, we all see in part, and we all prophesy in part, the word of God lets us know in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. So every man of God is prophesying, preaching the part that he clearly sees. The truth be told, the various parts come to together to now make the whole. Each man brings his own part, and his part addresses very often a specific need or niche. What is critical is each man needs to be humble enough to understand that I only have a part and not the whole. And I need others to bring their own parts for it to come together and form the whole. So my message is not to vilify prosperity or even prosperity preachers, but to bring biblical balance and put prosperity in the right framework of the whole gospel. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 1 says, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You see, at the heart of my message is balance. A just balance is the Lord's delight. It's the easiest, and I dare say laziest thing, to swing from extreme to extreme and to bandy everything under one big broad stroke without taking the due diligence to rightly divide and see what is good and what is bad. So very often we fall into the error of throwing the baby out with the bath water. No, that's wrong. God's delight is in an accurate and a just balance. So I tell your neighbor, don't be lazy, don't be lazy. You've got to do the hard work of getting the balance right. All right. Has anybody had to ever walk a tightrope? Has anybody walked a tightrope? in this church. I, don't, I guess I don't have any tightrope walkers in church. But has anybody had to keep their balance in this church before? Walked maybe on a wall or something and you had to keep your balance walking on that wall. Now, you, what you will find out is that sometimes in keeping the balance, if you are keeping the balance and you started to tilt too much to this side, and you're about to fall off, what do you do? You compensate and tilt in the other side. So what you are actually doing is that sometimes to keep the balance, you have to go to an extreme. You hear me? Now in that moment, it doesn't look like this is balanced. But the reason that I'm going to this extreme is to make up for the last imbalance that I had. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? And so sometimes, even in the progression of the church, the church has tilted too much on this side, then God raises somebody to bring a message, a word, that's meant to balance us back. But to balance us from going too far to this side, his word or his message can seem extreme. But the extreme was needed to bring you out of this. Am I making sense? 
But we know that ultimately where we are trying to get to is a place where we are no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, where we are truly balanced and walking the way that God wants us to walk. <laughs> now, I want you to understand that scriptural, biblical balance is not necessarily the dead center of two opposing views. Because, you know, sometimes when I tell people I'm an apostle of balance, they say, oh, that means you are not taking any stance. You always look for just the middle road and you stay in the middle of the road. No, sir. No, sir. Biblical balance is simply the accurate interpretation of what the Word of God is really saying. And sometimes the accurate interpretation of what God is saying can seem to be extreme. But it is not extreme, it's the balance. You hear me what I'm saying? But, but then recently as I was studying and I was meditating, God said, let me give you the real secret to balance. It's, it, it's not by compensation from one side to the other. Uh, I, I, I said, so how do, what's the secret to, to being balanced? Uh, and he said, if you interview the tightrope walker, he will say that the reason he's able to walk that tightrope, and if you watch them closely, is by keeping their eyes fixed on where they're going. <laughs> keeping their eyes fixed on the goal. Keeping their eyes fixed on the destination. The tightrope walker makes sure that he resists the temptation to look to this side or to look to that side or worse still, to look down at the ground below him. What does he do? Watch them. They're looking constantly right in front where it is they're going. And he said, God said to me, that is the secret to balance. The secret to balance in the scripture is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. The only time you lose balance is when you take your eyes of Jesus. So Peter saw the winds and the waves boisterous and he began to sink because he had taken his eyes of Jesus. Stop looking at men. Stop looking at their failures. Stop looking at their imperfections. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. No man is the author and the finisher of your faith. No man is the author and the finisher of my faith. Only Jesus. So I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Even Paul says, follow me as I follow who? Christ. Jesus. The secret to balance is keeping your eyes on Christ. God wants you to prosper. Right from the beginning of the book, we see clearly that God wants you to prosper because God created man for dominion, right? Let him have dominion. And there is no dominion without prosperity. In the first recorded conversation between God and man, God says, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. This is the first conversation between God and man, and God commands fruitfulness. The first thing he says is, be fruitful. But before he told them to be fruitful, which is to be productive, he, he says, and God bless them. What does it mean to bless? To bless, listen, to bless is to empower to prosper. Take that definition and note that definition. To bless is to empower to prosper. So God empowered them to prosper, and then he told them to be fruitful. Okay, when we read that book of beginnings also, we see that God created all things before he created man. He created everything before he created man. And then he put man in everything that he had created. So God had made provision before he put man in the provision that he had made for man. So God now gives man a singular assignment. He says, tend and keep what I have already provided for you. And I want to let you know that the assignment has not changed. The assignment remains the same. We are to tend and to keep 
keep what God has already given, for we are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Uh, uh, but you must understand that to tend and to keep something is also to cultivate it, to grow it, to multiply it. Good stewardship is a multiplying what is given to you. So one talent to one, two to another, five to another. Good stewards multiply their talents. Bad stewards keep it as it is, and it depreciates. So God says, I'm giving you what you need. I want to see you, to, you to use what I have given you for my plan. God wants you to prosper. He empowered Adam to prosper. He told him to tend and keep the prosperity he had given him. But Adam lost the script when he sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Now we see God reinstituting his plan in Abraham, when in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessed. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When you look at these statements of God to Abraham, you see clearly that blessing is written all over it. Blessing is all over God's intent for Abraham, but not just for Abraham, but for all of the families of the earth. For in you shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Remember the definition of blessing? It is to empower, to prosper. So we see that God's intent was that people will be empowered to prosper. There should be no doubt that God wants you to prosper. Don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 22, it says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and it addeth no sorrow. Remember the definition of blessing? It means the empowerment of the Lord to prosper is going to make you rich and is not going to add any sorrow to it. Don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. Psalms 35 and verse 27, it says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Now, if God is happy that servants are prospering, how much more the sons and daughters of God. God does not delight in your poverty. God delights in your prosperity. He is proud when you prosper. Oh God, help me this Sunday morning. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, it says, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. Listen, if God did not want you to have wealth, he would not give you power to get wealth. Tell your neighbor, God wants you to prosper. All right, so that he gives us the power to get wealth is evidence enough that he wants us to get and to have wealth. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this same Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, he reveals the purpose for the wealth that he has empowered you and me to get. Listen to me, it is not wealth for wealth's sake. It's not money misroad. This is money on a mission. This is prosperity with a purpose. He says the reason that he has given you the power to get wealth is so that he might be able to establish his covenant which he swore unto your forefathers. Now what covenant is this? We read it a moment ago. Is the covenant in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 to 3 that in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the reason that God wants you to get wealth is not for your self-aggrandizement, is to empower you to be able to bless others. Can somebody go ahead and give God the glory under the sound of my voice? Hallelujah. But what is also instructive, listen, very instructive in this verse, is that God does not give you wealth. 
God gives you the power to get wealth. The responsibility for getting wealth is not his. It's ours. He's giving you the wherewithal to be able to get wealth. But he's not going to get the wealth for you. You have to get the wealth yourself. In fact, God does not bless with wealth. He blesses with the power to get wealth. Some things do not come directly from God. Some things come from the earth, while some things come from heaven. And it's important you know the difference so that you can get your expectations aligned appropriately, so that you are not expecting from heaven what the earth is meant to supply or expecting from the earth what the heavens are meant to supply, and then you get disappointed. You've got to know what comes from the earth and what comes from the heaven. Listen, money is not God's invention. Mr. Lamy, come and help me. Money is not God's invention. When God created the heavens and the earth, six days and all of that, money was not in the list. Money is man's creation. It's man's concept. It's man's structure, money. Money is not God's invention. Money did not come from heaven. Money is something that's created by the systems and structures of men on the face of the earth. So God does not send money to you from heaven. I know I'm going to mess up with some people's religion here and your belief system. God does not bless with money. Why? Because God doesn't have any money to bless you with. The heavens are his throne, the earth is his footstool. There's no money in heaven. Doesn't bless with money. God does not directly bless anyone with money. There are no pounds, dollars, or yens in heaven. There's no mitty press in heaven. Listen, if you got some dollars from heaven. It's counterfeit. <laughs> it, it, it won't have the serial number of the dollars that are... It's counterfeit. In fact, don't miss Wednesday. When you understand money, money is a concept. It's not a real thing. It's a medium of exchange. It's a measure of value. Money in itself is, is a concept, it's an ideology that helps the economies of the world to rule. No, let me not go there. Don't miss Wednesday. God doesn't give wealth. He gives the power to get wealth. So expecting from heaven what the earth is meant to supply is setting you up for disappointment. And sometimes the problem with the way we've preached the, the prosperity gospel is that it sets you up to constantly be looking to heaven to supply you with pounds, dollars, yens, or whatever the currency it is that you are looking for, while there's, none of that is coming from heaven. In the book of Luke chapter 6 and verse 33, listen to what it says in the King James translation. It says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down, shake it together, and running over shall God give unto your bosom. Did he say that? What did he say? He said, shall men give unto your bosom. For the measure with, with, without you, you, you give out is the measure that it will be given back to you again. It is man, it is not God that gives back in response to your giving. Uh, if God does not bless with money, then the question is obvious. What does God bless with? If God doesn't bless me with pounds, and I would like to have a few more pounds, God, what do you bless me with? Number one, God blesses you with the power to get wealth. Number two, 
there's so many things that God blesses with that don't come from the earth, they come from God. Let me give you a few. He blesses you with favor. He blesses you with a divine direction. He blesses you with the knowledge of witty inventions. He blesses you with wisdom. He blesses you with understanding. He blesses you with speed. He blesses you with skill. He blesses you with strength. He blesses you with seed. In fact, I found out that seed is one of the greatest blessings that God has given man is seed. He blesses you with seed. While you are looking for the forest, he's giving you the seed because he knows that the forest is locked up in the seed. Are you hearing me, what I'm saying? These are the things that God blesses us with. So when we obey the biblical injunction of giving in church, our offerings, our tithes, our sacrificial things, our expectations, should not be some form of uh, mystical appearance of, of currency in our wardrobe at home when we finally get home that day. Our expectation should be, oh God, you're blessing me with divine direction. You're blessing me with the knowledge of witty inventions. You're blessing me with favor. You're blessing me with speed. You're blessing me with intelligence. You're blessing me with know-how. You're blessing me with strength. You are blessing me with even more seed. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? We gotta get our expectations right. So when I give sacrificially, my focus and my faith is clear. God, you're going to tell me what to do. You're going to give me insight. You're going to give me wisdom. You're going to give me favor. You're going to cause the works of my hand to, to prosper. <laughs> The power to get wealth is given by God. But the responsibility for getting the wealth is squarely ours. This, is, this was also the major paradigm shift between Moses and Joshua. Because the Moses generation was used to uh, for, for, the, of the, for the lion's share of responsibility being on God to provide manna, to provide meat, and to provide water. But when Joshua took the lead, the lion's share of responsibility moved from God and it moved to man. No longer were they going to have manna or quail or water running from a, a rock. They were going to have to get these things themselves. So we now read in the calling and the assignment of Joshua, powerful things in Joshua and chapter 1. The, the book of Joshua chapter 1, by the way, is the beginning of a new era. The Torah was over, which is the law in the first five books of the Bible. So Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It is the beginning of a new age. Joshua is actually the same as Jesus. So he's a typology of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, help me. And then we read in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Oh, this is powerful. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night to observe to do all the that is written in it for then somebody say then for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. This book of the law, now taking it to the New Testament, it's saying this book of the new covenant, this book of promise shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night, or not just for knowledge. You are not meditating in this word, reading this word, just so that you know it. You are meditating in this word to observe, to do. So you are meditating in this word to apply it. Somebody say apply it. Uh, it's not enough to know it. You've got to apply it. It is the truth that you apply that will make you free. You've got to apply it. Tell somebody else. You've got to apply it. Ah, uh, yes. So he's saying that this book of promise should not depart of your, out of your mouth. You should be speaking it. You should be confessing it. You should be proclaiming it. And you should be meditating, studying it day and night. Not just to gather more knowledge and be able to win the debate. No, so that you can see how to apply it to your life. And then it says, for then. Somebody say then. 
where, where when is then, when is this then that he's talking about? When you put the word of promise constantly in your mouth and you meditate upon it day and night, not just for knowledge, but for application. That's the then, that's the when, that's then, then, then what will happen? Listen to what he says will happen. Then you will make your way prosperous. Note what it did not say. It did not say, then God will make your way prosperous. It says, then you, yes, you, uh, point at your neighbor, point them in your face, in their face, and tell them they're talking about you right now. It's you that's going to make your way prosperous. It's not God that's going to make it prosperous. The responsibility is yours. It's not God. It's not your uncle. It's not your auntie. It's not your brother. It's not your sister. It's not your pastor. It's not whoever you are looking up to. He says that you will make your way prosperous. You will make your way prosperous. The scripture says, and then, another then, you will have good success. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to take on the responsibility of keeping the word of promise in your mouth, meditating upon it day and night, not just to know, but to apply. And that's when all the other dens will start to happen in your life. My time is fast spent. I have to pick up the pace. As I bring us back to our text from whence we began, in 3 John and verse 2, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospereth. Hey, Jesus. John says, I wish. He says, I wish. Uh, what is a wish? Uh, let me tell you what the dictionary tells us about a wish. A wish is a desire or a hope for something to happen. An expression of a desire or hope for something to happen. An invocation or recitation of a hope or desire. An expression of a desire for someone's success or good fortune. A thing or event that is or has been desired. An object of desire. Have you ever had a birthday party where they put a, coke, a cake in front of you and they put candles on the cake and they told you to blow out the candles? Anybody? Has that happened to you before? And what did they tell you to do? They said make a wish. And you made a wish. Particularly when you are younger. Now so in your adult age, you don't too much do that anymore. But when you are younger, you always made a wish. I'm wishing for a, a new bicycle. I'm wishing for uh, my my action man or my action woman or whatever it is that you are wishing for. This is a wish. Uh, the dictionary goes on to say, to wish is to feel or express a strong desire or hope for something that is not easily attainable. It is to want something that cannot or probably will not happen. Ah, uh, yes. It is to silently invoke a hope or desire, especially in a ritualized way, uh, to feel or express a desire to do something. Okay, what is the problem with wishes? The problem with wishes is that they have no power within themselves to fulfill themselves. Did you hear me what I'm saying? No wonder the proverb says, uh, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. In fact, wishes are so powerless uh, that to say you are wishing for something is to immediately admit that that thing is difficult or, or to admit the near impossibility of that thing coming to pass. It is an admission that it is totally out of your hands and out of your power for it to happen. Ah, so if the prayer of John here was just a wish, then it was powerless to cause any real change. It was just a gesture 
of goodwill. I wish you well, but I'm powerless to make you well. I wish you a good job, but I'm powerless to give you a new jo a good job. I wish you your next level, but I'm powerless to make you go to your next level. It's just a goodwill wish. But I came to tell somebody this Sunday morning that it is more than a wish. How do I know that it is more than a wish? How do I know that John was not just greeting and wishing his friend, his brother Gaius, uh, good, goodness in his life? This is how I know, because John introduces the clause, even as. Somebody say, even as. He says, even as your soul prospers. Ah, yes. This clause, this conditionality changes the game. It immediately makes it more than a wish. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Uh, Pastor Zubi, come on my side. Minister, um, Minister Lamy, come to this side of me. Hallelujah. Let's, let's try to get the people to see this. Uh, on both sides of me, like this. Now, he says, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Did you get it? Uh, the even as is a conjunction. It's joining these two statements together. I wish that you prosper, but it is even as your soul prospers. Uh, a synonym for even as is according. Ah, uh, yes. So both of these words, even as and according, uh, speak to direct proportionality. Hey, Jesus, help it introduces an equilibrium, uh, and the equation must always be balanced. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? What is happening here is affecting what is happening here, uh, and the equation must always be balanced. If this is going down, go down, then this will go down. If this is going up, then this will go up. They are connected to one another. This equation introduces responsibility because what is now saying is that this wish is dependent on what is happening over here. So what is responsible for the fulfillment of the wish is what is happening over here. It's more than a wish. Somebody say, it's more than a wish. Oh, yes. So often in the statement, one side speaks of the desired outcome, the promise, the wish, while the other side is speaking about what you need to do to make the wish come to pass, even as. Listen, this is a binding principle. It is a law, and laws are no respecter of persons. So in other words, it doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter your ethnos. It doesn't matter your height or how heavy you are. If you do the even as, you will get the wish that precedes it. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? It, it is a law, it's a principle. So you don't even have to be in Christ. And that's why you can find people outside of Christ who have learned how to prosper in their souls in certain areas and it is resulting in prosperity in that area. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? Now, the word even as, like the word according, is a delegating word. It delegate, delegates responsibility and authority to another. Oh, yes. Let's look at a few scriptures that employ the word according. Remember when the angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to conceive and you're going to have a baby and his name shall be called Jesus? Unbelievable that a virgin would do this. Listen to Mary's response. Mary says, let it be to me according, oh yes, that word again, even as your word, according to your word. By that statement, she was putting the responsibility of the performance of the promise of having Jesus upon the word, that the only way this will not happen is if the word fails, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, it shall not return unto him void, it shall prosper in the thing that he sent it to. First Timothy and 
chapter 1 and verse 18, what Paul says to Timothy, son Timothy, I charge you according, oh yes, to the prophecies that went before on thee, that thou mightest by them war a good warfare. So he's saying that your effectivity in waging a warfare, a warfare, a successful warfare, is according to your grasp of the prophecy and your willingness to use that prophecy in warfare. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Ah, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think, or imagine according uh, to the power that is at work within us. The introduction, the introduction of the according, the even as, changes the equation. It means that God wants to blow your mind, but it's dependent on the power that is at work within you. The degree to which the power is at work within you is what's going to determine how much of the exceedingly abundantly of God that you experience. Uh, the tables have shifted, the response is upon you. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. And my God shall supply for all of my need according to his riches in glory. Did you get that? He said, I'm not going to supply for your need according to the need. I'm going to supply to, for your need according to my resources, which are limitless. Can I prophesy to somebody that God is going to supply for all of your needs, not according to the needs, but according to his riches. If you believe it, shout yeah! Two blind men came to meet Jesus and Jesus said, what do you want? We said, we want to receive our sight. Jesus said, do you believe that I can do this? They said, yes, we do. And in Matthew and chapter 9 and verse 29, and he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. He said that the responsibility for your healing is not really just my anointing power, it is your faith, because it's according to your faith. Can I tell somebody this some morning that he's waiting on you? It's according to your faith. If you will believe him, he will do it. And I see him doing it. I see him moving. I see him shifting. I see him turning things around in your life. If it's you, I'm prophet assigned to and you believe it come and show yeah Woo! and so we now come back to our text and we try to apply all of these principles of direct proportionality conditionality dependency delegation and responsibility to the even as in our text John's wish is no longer a wish it is more than a wish by the introduction of the even as. He is showing that the way to actualize this wish is by what is happening on this side. God desires total life prosperity for you. Every area. What's the point being rich and being sick? Look, if it was all about financial wealth, we'll still have Steve Jobs around right now. God says, what I want for you is not just, you know, every time we talk about prosperity, everybody's thinking money. No, he said total life prosperity. Health in your mind and also in your pocket. And he, but he says that it's even as your soul prospers. How does your soul prosper? Your soul prospers by the renewal of your mind with the word of God. If this is a law and no respecter of person, it means, listen, if there's any area of your life where you are not prospering, it means you, you, you lack soul prosperity in that area also. Because if you have soul prosperity in that area and the scriptures cannot be broken, it must result in prosperity in that area. So my prime pursuit right now is soul prosperity because if my soul prospers, everything else will prosper. Thank you, brothers. So this isn't a wish after all. It's more than a wish. Listen, stop waiting on a wish. Get to work on your soul. Tell your neighbor, stop waiting on a wish. 
get to work on your soul. Stop wishing for a better day. Make it a better day. Stop wishing for a change. Make the change. Stop wishing for something to happen. Make it happen. He has put the power and along with it the responsibility to make it happen. He doesn't bless with wealth. He blesses you with the power to get wealth. Are you going to use that power? Bless your people indeed. Or rather, God, open their eyes to the blessing you've already placed upon them. And grant them the fortitude, the resolve to use it. Thank you, Lord. We give you the glory, we give you the praise, we give you the honor, we give you the worship. God wants you to prosper, but the only way you're going to enjoy that prosperity is coming in to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. That total life prosperity, it's possible for you to prosper and have a lot of money, but it's also possible for you at the same time to lose your soul. You see, when we make our gospel all about having loads and loads of money, then you don't have a gospel for the unsaved billionaire. So you're flying first class with him. What are you, how, how are you going to present Jesus? You're going to tell him, your breakthrough is now. They'll say, I can break you through. <laughs> you hear me what I'm saying? It's total life prosperity. You'd be surprised how some of the richest people are also the saddest people. Every area, he wants you to prosper. If you're out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even if you're in the building or you're on Facebook or YouTube, this is your moment, this is your opportunity. Don't harden your heart. Please repeat these words of prayer after me. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Let's pray. Repeat these words. Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth. Therefore, by faith, I am saved. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. If you pray that prayer wherever you are, you are indeed saved and we want to help you to grow in the word of the Lord. We want you to grow from being a child to becoming a mature son of God. So please direct message us on any of our platforms and let's help you to grow in the Lord. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.